Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. The question this time is, do we need to train our board of directors on compliance and ethics? The short answer is, yes, you do. And in fact, the notion of the board of directors or the governing authority of an organization having some sort of training and understanding of compliance and ethics is enshrined in the sentencing guideline standards. But while we all understand the necessity of the board of directors having some sort of training, what that looks like in practical terms can vary quite a bit, but also might be difficult to implement. First, I think it's helpful to talk about the different types of training, compliance and ethics program training that a board of directors might receive. To me, there's really three different strands, three pillars, if you will, of training that the board of directors would receive from either internal resources or external resources. And we'll talk more about what makes sense, what might make sense in various organizations as far as using internal resources in a minute. But first, let's talk about the different types uh, or categories of training that are out there. The first category that is, I think, pretty specific, and usually, if any of these three categories are well covered, well covered by most organizations, is what I would call risk topic or compliance risk topic specific training. This would be training on conflicts of interest or anti-corruption or any other hot button issue. One that's getting a lot of training in the boardroom these days is data security and data privacy, for example. So those very specific risk topic sessions that talk about the risks inherent with that particular issue overall uh, and the specific risks for the organization and perhaps talk about controls and policies and process training that is going on within the organization around those very specific compliance risks. To a great extent, this training will reflect the risk topic training that many members of the organization, employees and other stakeholders receive uh, as well. Uh, Topics, again, like anti-corruption, data security, data privacy, those top tier risks, that sort of training is going to be happening across the board within an organization. There are specific risk topics that you would expect to see commonly happen at the board of directors that may or may not happen at other levels of the organization, but are certainly specific to the unique aspects of being a director. Uh, Things like conflicts of interest and for public companies, insider trading. Those are issues that certainly are important to many members of, uh, of the organization and employees and other stakeholders, but uh, have a certain specific importance and value for, for the board. So, so that's going to be one strand. And that, and that, I think, again, if there's a more developed, more mature training program, if you will, for boards of directors, then it's going to be on these individual topics. And that will typically be uh, a mix with most organizations of information and data that's being provided by the staff of the organization, whether it's the general counsel or the compliance officer or some other member of the staff, but also outside counsel or outside experts will come in on, on those topics pretty regularly 
to discuss these things with the board of directors and talk about the liability for the organization, the risks involved, uh, but then the sort of local flavor, if you will, will be added about what the the uh, organization is doing to control for those risks. And this brings up a important piece of the puzzle. Oftentimes, training for board members, for directors, is interspersed with uh, providing them information and data that they need beyond training for oversight of the program. So you're talking about uh, not just the risk itself, not explaining, for example, what's been happening with enforcement around anti-corruption for the last year, but also talking about very specifically what the organization is doing around that. So that fulfills not only the aspect of training and providing information and, uh, and, and knowledge share with the board of directors about a specific topic, but it also satisfies uh, the requirement that the board be knowledgeable about the aspects of the program that cover that particular risk as well. A second piece or pillar of an effective training program for the board of directors, I believe includes a periodic review of what their responsibilities are as the board of directors or, or as the sentencing guidelines characterize it, the governing authority of the organization. So this applies to organizations that have trustees or uh, other governing authorities. There needs to be a periodic discussion about what exactly the role of the board is in resolving, reviewing, and provisioning the program, the compliance and ethics program for the future of the organization. So they need to understand exactly what role the sentencing guidelines and other standards expect from them. And this will be talking about the ABA Model Business Corporation Act and any other uh, applicable corporation acts and discuss concepts like how the director's duty of loyalty, good faith, and duty of care all lead to their responsibility for compliance at the organization and how acting in the best interests of the company, for example, under their duty of loyalty requires them to be apprised of what uh, controls and other aspects of compliance program are in place and what the status is of ongoing uh, initiatives and projects and what the plan is moving forward, forward for both compliance and ethics at the organization. This is also an opportunity particularly if you have directors who are recently have joined the board to discuss, for instance, the seven hallmarks of the sentencing guidelines, what actually makes up a compliance program. Uh, I think it's unwise to assume, if, particularly if you have a new director on the board of directors, that they automatically know these things. And ultimately, they're responsible for it. And, and let's be clear here. This is the full board. This is not the audit committee of the board of directors or whatever subgroup may or may not have responsibility for the program uh, in your specific organization. This is the entire board. The entire board has the responsibility, ultimately, for the oversight of the compliance and ethics program. And so the entire board needs to, on a regular basis, be educated about what their role ought to be and be educated about fundamental aspects of a compliance program, such as the seven hallmarks of the sentencing guidelines. 
as I said, I think the first pillar, the the risk specific training, is the most common and, and well covered. And and so I would say that this one, the the discussion, regular discussion, periodic discussion, about what exactly the board's role is and what exactly a compliance program is comprised of, this is probably the one that's most overlooked, because I think there's a fear that perhaps it's information that some of these board members, particularly say the chair of the audit committee who regularly receives updates about the program is going to be well aware of. But that ignores the likelihood that there are other members of the board, uh, particularly those that perhaps aren't on the audit committee or the subdivision of the board that's responsible for regular oversight of the program, uh, that they have this depth of knowledge that they need. And Again, it's important to remember because I think oftentimes compliance officers and those responsible for compliance get used to the relationship, both formal and informal, that they have with the audit committee, uh, usually two or three or maybe five members at the most, and they forget that the full board is ultimately responsible for the program. And so the full board needs to, on a periodic basis, have some discussion about this, and, and, and it needs to take the form of a give and take too, because I think that you'll be surprised that there, there are going to be a lot of questions, sort of basic questions about what exactly comprises a compliance program and how does the program that we have in place and our organization reflect those standards. If there's a third pil- pillar or third group or bucket of training that I think is integral for directors to, to participate in, then it's that annual code of conduct training, as it's often called, or all hands training, or onboarding training, that broader compliance training that goes out to the vast group of employees and other uh, stakeholders that get trained within your organization. This is another one that is less likely to be covered uh, versus risk-specific training, that kind of uh, legal training, if you will, that, that is pretty common at the board level. But let me make a case for you engaging your board in the same or very similar training to what you provide to all employees. In the past, this is an area where I've heard some reticence from uh, compliance officers and, and general counsel saying, I don't really want to, for, for example, sign my uh, board up to have to take online training from our LMS. But my answer to that is usually, well, why not? Number one, this is a a, a, a two-for-one here. You're killing two birds with one stone, just as I mentioned early on. Not only are you training the board, but they're engaging in their oversight role. Is there anything more integral to most organizations training for compliance? Is there anything more central to your training program than that uh, online training, particularly what's often called a code of conduct training that the mass group of your employees engage in on a regular basis, sometimes annually with many organizations. It's, it's really uh, a linchpin for the training that goes on in your organization. So why is the board not familiar with this? And it may be that you set up the board not to just take the training as everyone else does. Maybe they get a, uh, a shorter version or a synopsis or a presentation that takes the, the, the detail or some of the detail out of that training. There are different ways to approach this. 
But what I found many organizations doing over the past three or four or five years is actually signing them up for the training. Again, I think there's some trepidation with many uh, general counsel and, and compliance officers before this happens. But I have to be honest, of the organizations I know that have done it, uh, it's all been a very positive experience. The board comes back uh, with some respect for what you have put together, what the employee base goes through on a regular basis, the information that they're provided, the process by which uh, everyone is trained. So they have an understanding of this key component of your program. For many organizations, the the online training or the all-hands training, if it's not online, it's it's still typically an all-encompassing training. And, and it's, a, it's really important for them to understand how it's administered, uh, what the content is, and what the takeaways ought to be from, from that training. Again, I, I haven't heard uh, a discouraging word uh, from organizations that have uh, gone down this path. Uh, but even if you're not willing to, to um, give them login IDs and send them to the LMS to take an online training course, you should at a minimum, be presenting them the information that uh, is being provided in in that training and details about how that information is uh, presented and how the training operates. Again, beyond providing them training about those specific topics that are covered in the annual training, they also are engaged in their very important oversight role of uh, integral part of your your, um, compliance program. So those, those are the three main strands or pillars or groups of, of training topics that I, I would suggest need to be mixed together on a regular basis and provided to your board of directors. So some other common questions are, well, how frequently do we train our board of directors? Well, how frequently do you train uh, your employees on these topics, uh, like the code of conduct training or the individual risk topic training? Pretty frequently is usually the answer on an annual basis at, at a minimum. Well, I was just to suggest that uh, the board members, the, the full board needs to be trained uh, on an annual basis as well. Maybe they don't get all of this at once. Maybe it's parceled out over several uh, meetings over a year. Maybe it's uh, uh, delivered by different parts of the organization. Maybe you uh, or the internal staff deliver some of this information, but you bring in outside counsel or outside professionals to deliver, for, for example, risk topic specific uh, information. Uh, there are different ways uh, and different time frames to, to attack this. I don't think there's any right way, but what I don't think you want to be in the position of having to defend or explain is if the board is not receiving any training at all regarding their responsibilities for compliance or the compliance program specifically or these uh, important compliance risk topics. If those things aren't happening at all and you can't show that the board is being exposed to this information and having an opportunity to have a give and take with you and, and the other officers of the organization about compliance and ethics, then number one, they're not fulfilling the training obligations that are suggested in the sentencing guidelines and, in, and, and elsewhere. But they also are, are probably not, not as successful in fulfilling their oversight role either, because again, training is integral to any program. And the last thing I would say is, as I mentioned early on, I think there are differing ways that this can be done with internal resources or with external resources. I don't think there's any right way or right mix there either. 
it really depends on what makes the most sense. Um, if there's a common thread, I think it's true that you bring in outside experts to talk about specific risk topics, like again, data security, data privacy is is one that that ha- that is uh, very commonly uh, discussed and trained on these days. So you may bring in some somebody with some specific expertise to talk about that. But there again, if you've got that expertise inside, in-house, there's no reason why uh, the board can't engage in risk topic training with somebody from the uh, uh, information technology department. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't have to be that the compliance officer or somebody from the, from the general counsel's offices are the only ones providing this uh, training and, and engaging in the discussion and the give and take. Uh, so I don't think there's any right way to make that determination. But those are just some general ideas. Again, I think you want to draw from all three of these different groups of training, these different pillars when you're putting together training. I think you want it to be regular. I think that if you look back over the the minutes of the board of directors over the last year and there's no mention at all about uh, training, compliance training, either on, a, on specific risk topics or these other uh, important topics, then I think that that's probably hard to defend these days. So at least on an annual basis, whether you break it up or whether you provide some of these different strands at different times, I think that's all going to be up to individual organizations. And obviously this time is very precious. And let me make my last pitch for online training there as well, because the great thing about signing them up to review and look at the online training is that that doesn't happen during their session with you or the other members of, of, of the uh, management team. That happens offline. So uh, another great aspect of, of trying to get them uh, on the LMS to take a look at some of those materials, particularly if those are uh, materials that the majority of the employees of your organization and other stakeholders are responsible for reviewing and learning from, then that's an activity that doesn't take a bite out of your time. Uh, so that's another good point. But uh, just some things to keep in mind when you're thinking about training at the board level. The upshot this time is there are basically three pillars or groups of topics that you need to include in any regime for training your board of directors. Those three include risk-specific compliance training, a regular review of the board's responsibility for oversight of the compliance and ethics program, And lastly, a comprehensive review and understanding at the board level of all hands, code of conduct, or annual training. Today, we have three questions with Joanne Mahoney. Joanne is currently Senior Director, Regulation and Compliance with Equifax Incorporated. At Equifax, she acts as the compliance subject matter expert for the business units of mortgage, healthcare, insurance, mobile commerce, data and analytics, and new product innovation. Like a lot of professionals, she's wearing many hats. And prior to joining Equifax, she held roles in compliance and in-house counsel with within the financial services industry, including Bank of America, Countrywide, Fifth Third Bank, and she is admitted to the Ohio Bar. Additionally, with MetLife Auto and Home Insurance, she was a personal lines insurance underwriter for seven years. Welcome, Joanne. Good morning. Thank you. Very glad to be here. Thanks, Joanne. And Starting off, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey? How did you end up in your current role? Kind of, uh, as as you know, as was mentioned, I've I've 
kind of been in the uh, the financial services role throughout. Uh, I started in in credit unions actually in college, and uh, I've worked in in insurance as was mentioned, and uh, in uh, working after uh, after law school. I actually started with a probably a medium sized uh, regional uh, bank, and the uh, the president that hired me handed me a, a, a regulator's exam manual and uh, the showed me where the reg- regulation books were, and he said, we have an exam in a, a few weeks, and your job <laughs> is to make sure that we pass it. <laughs> so I said, yay, <laughs> and, uh, d- you know, dug in, went through the, you know, kind of the whole alphabet, and, and part of my view kind of on compliance and, and is looking at it from an operational perspective, so it was a, you know, great challenge, and uh, going through, and then kind of moved into kind of a, a, a larger regional and then international and, and, and also working, uh, you know, as, as mentioned, in, in legal departments and kind of creating creating sometimes a, a, a liaison aspect between compliance and legal because sometimes there's, uh, there's different, uh, different viewpoints and there definitely are d- distinctions between those even though... Uh, you know, some, sometimes people think, uh, well, I went to law school, I should know everything. But there are, you know, there are things that are, are, are specific to a legal review and then things that are, are looked at from, you know, from the compliance perspective and, and being from a regulatory or from, you know, from a corporate policy perspective as well. And um, looking into to my, my new role, it was, you know, was something that was, was look, looking at a, a new challenge and, uh, you know, working with Equifax, and uh, I, you know, always knew them as the the credit bureau that a lot of the the organizations that I dealt with, as well as any of my own credit functions, and getting that you know that credit report. But they were looking to expand their um, their compliance department and bringing in folks with kind of backgrounds in you know in financial institutions or otherwise, and pretty much uh, giving getting the opportunity to really create my role, which is always a, a fun thing to do, and uh, you know taking kind of the way I've looked at compliance from you know from that operational perspective and uh, bringing it through with the the different folks that I work with and and really understanding even the the scope of what the organization does and all of the uh, the products and services that are continuously being uh, being developed to um, provide aspects for consumers as well as uh, client customers and uh, you know just kind of energized by the uh, acceptance of, of compliance or the role of uh, the regulatory environment within the organization. You said something interesting about, uh, that's something that I've, I've heard before too, that oftentimes when, when somebody comes to compliance from a legal background, uh, there's this notion that, I don't know whether it's innate in somebody who goes to law school or whether we learn it at law school, <laughs> where you feel like you should know everything, that you feel like whether whether it's uh, actual or not, there's a perception that people are looking to you as, as sort of the font of knowledge, of all knowledge. And one thing that I've, uh, a thread that I've heard before is that you sort of have to take a step back from that uh, sort of all-knowing, all-seeing perspective and, and you know, be able to listen and be able to learn from other folks that the, the position of compliance is a little bit different from the position of being a legal advisor. And I'm curious, since you've been at this for, for some time, sort of your perspective of that as sort of divesting yourself a little bit of, of, of the legal perspective in compliance. Is that something that you've uh, undertaken during your career and, and that you see as, as a valuable exercise? I, yes, and I com- 
completely agree. And it, it, it's uh, it's funny. A couple of years ago, in a in a continuing education aspect, I I attended a um, a negotiation uh, seminar, and uh, the the person that was presenting it, because the majority of the people there were were in litigation or or various forms of that, and uh, she she came up to me at one of the breaks and she said, "Well, you know, I'm glad you're here, but I I, I you know why?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, I I feel like." Everything that I do is some level of you know of negotiation because you really need to to your you know to the point listen and take that step back and take the information in and you know and and as as we know most of the regulations are written you know in a format that's very gray so you know that there is the ability to you know to have interpretations and you know I feel like you you know needing to take in folks that know the uh, the environment either from a technology perspective or from a, a data perspective or from the the relationship perspective of uh, you know of the clients that they might be dealing with or even looking at it you know and especially looking at it from the consumer perspective and you know kind of taking that viewpoint back bringing in the different insights and then kind of coming back with the you know, a view or a, or even a a pathway, so that it's not. I, I've always felt that you know, I'm not I'm not here to be a sales prevention aspect. I'm here to help. And how can we partner and work through in getting to an objective? It may not be the initial idea that somebody had, but how do we you know how do we move that that along so that you know it's a it's a good outcome for for everyone and you know and ultimately understanding as well. You know, we're all shareholders of an organization too, so you know, we have to keep that in mind, and also keeping in mind of what you know what we're doing and 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 securing. You know, speaking especially from from the Equifax perspective, um, that we're you know we we are trusted uh, stewards of consumer data, and uh, keeping that in in viewpoint as well. I totally agree, and 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 one of the key aspects of that, which. Again, not to beat up on us lawyers too much, but sometimes we deserve it, is uh, that kind of team building and working within a team aspect is sometimes uh, a difficult transition. But but I think if you can make it, if you can be a coalition builder and a listener, you're much better for it in this role. I agree. And I think you have you really have to be. Otherwise, you are kind of looked at as, you know, the the person with the pitchfork in the tail uh, <laughs> exactly. coming in and, and, you know, and that's, that's something that, you know, I think some people have that idea or even have that idea that, oh, compliance regulations, oh, all yeah, they want to yeah. do is just, you know, beat us down and everything else. And that's not true. You know, yeah, there are a lot of things that are, you know, are, are, are over the top in, you know, in some aspects of, of creation, but kind of getting people to educate, you know, and understand. And, and actually, I was on the phone yesterday evening with, with a, a salesperson who was, you know, very, very honestly asking, well, why, you know, why isn't this? Because somebody's telling me that they can do it. You know, why can't I? And so we kind of went through and talked a little bit about, you know, um, and it happened to be mortgage-related, so a couple of mortgage regulations. And, you know, the, the, the salesperson was like, you know, I really appreciate because now at least I understand. So when the, you know, when I'm being asked these questions, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to state the regulation because I definitely don't want to get into that. <laughs> but I understand why I'm being told here's kind of the limitation in this aspect or why we, you know, we can't or shouldn't do this. So, uh, and that to me, I was like, hey, a good day. 
Yes, a success. Yep, exactly. <laughs> now, uh, uh, if you could go back in time to before you had your current role in compliance and, and tell your younger self one uh, piece of advice that you feel like would have been valuable at the time, what would that one piece of advice be? That patience really is a virtue <laughs> and <laughs> affecting change can be a very slow process, but it also can reap large rewards. And I think, you know, from the, the standpoint of, I think you want everything to change, you know, flip, clip your fingers or, you know, the old bewitch t- took your nose or something like that. But, uh, but you know, it really, really is baby steps. But if you can get kind of those light bulbs to go on, you can get people to, to invite you to the, you know, the innovation meetings and things like that, that there is that level of planting that seed and because ultimately, you know, compliance is, is everybody's responsibility and getting that cultural viewpoint is, uh, you know, is significant. Yeah, and that really dovetails with 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 what we were just talking about about uh, listening and and coalition building is getting getting more ingrained in the operational aspects of the organization is clearly something we all are talking about now. But you have to develop the skills so that people want you in the room uh, in the first place uh, to really effectuate that. And and I I think that uh, patience is definitely one of those skills. Again. Not to stereotype us too much, but sometimes that's not uh, that's not top of the list if you're coming particularly from a litigation background. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and then lastly, uh, Joanne, you are in a highly regulated space where there's a lot going on. If you could peer into your compliance and ethics crystal ball for us over the next couple of years, what are one or two trends that you think are going to be important? I think there's going to be further scrutiny on kind of the business conduct, accountability, professionalism, kind of that thread and, you know, and, and not to, to point out particular entities or, or corporate entities, but I think that that, you know, there, there's, there's been several that, you know, have, have kind of been brought up and, and kind of the focus on people really making sure that they're doing the right thing and that they're fair and upfront in their dealings with consumers and consumer information. And I think there's going to be, you know, further focus on on security. You know, that there's a lot of um, interaction and, and I know, you know, I've been working a lot with, with some of our folks on, on the mobile and people want information fast. They want, you know, want all this stuff. But then at the same time, if, you know, if something happens to their information, then it's kind of like they go all the way back and understand, hey, this is pretty important stuff. It's, you know, not just things that are, you know, hanging out there and data points. This is my reputation. This is me. This is everything that, you know, that I I work with. So I think in in my viewpoint, I think those are two of kind of a, a one and a half, I guess, in a sense, because they kind of are, are outgrows of each other. But really, I think those are going to be continued focuses and, um, you know, and especially with that accountability factor. Yeah. And, and I know there's been a lot of talk over the past few weeks about uh, deregulation, but the concerns of, of the consumer aren't likely to go away anytime soon. Exactly. exactly. And I think, you know, I, 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 you know, I think that there will be you know, and even in in any administration, there'll you know be some some different changes and different things like that. But uh, ultimately, you know, the 
consumer needs to be, you know, in the forefront. And I, I was joking with somebody the other day because I said, "There's nobody that's going to say, uh, oh no, I don't want to, <laughs> I want to, I want to deregulate things because I don't care about the consumer." <laughs> there's no, there's no, no uh, politician <laughs> or or anyone in an organization that wants to do that. But I also think that, you know, that the more, I think there's been technology is great and it and it will continue to just keep flourishing and you know and crossing you know uh, countries and states and 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 looking at things from a global aspect but i think also people have kind of lost some time that face in front of them and yeah. that these are you know these are people they're data points, there's other things. And I, I know I was talking with somebody yesterday and uh, they were saying that they wish everybody that was on, you know, on a phone, and I've actually worked in an organization that did this, we all got little mirrors. So every time you, you know, you picked up your phone, it was to remind you that, you know, there's there's somebody on that other end and, you know, keeping that in mind. And I think that that to me is something both you know, from a compliance and ethical aspect in moving forward and, and people really, you know, remembering that that it's very important to work hard, but also to work in, a, in an appropriate conduct. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, those consumers aren't going away. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, Joanne, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining us and, and answering our three questions. Thank you so very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.